So my name's Jeff. I'm in the Weinberg congregation where James and Andrea used to be. And we sent you our best because the Bible says you always give away your best. And we miss them. And I hope you are looking after them. See? Yeah, that's right. They're good. They should be looked after. So I've been told what I have to preach tonight. I've been given the whole story, so I, I'm under instruction. So it'll be good. Okay, it's 20 past. How long do I have? Okay. <laughs> Three hours. <laughs> no, it won't be that long, I promise you. I want, I want to speak tonight about being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And I want to show you a few things. I know you. Dominic. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? He comes from, he comes, I saw him being baptized in Musenberg last year. Eh? Yeah, it was amazing. I'm not bad for my age, Dominic. I'm actually quite impressed with me. Gee. So I want to speak about that. So my, my topic is being told, this is what you're preaching on, because I believe you guys are doing the What is Church series. Are you already into that? This is Church? And? Are you enjoying it? Is it teaching you what? Whoa. Is it good? Woo! Yeah. Okay, so I love the way you guys pray. You, you know, you say, yeah, and um, yeah, and Lord, um, yeah, and uh, yeah. Is that kind of a new language that the old guys have got to learn? Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Thank you. Let's just close our eyes. When we pray, we've got to remember that the name of Jesus unlocks the wonders of heaven for us. That's why the Bible says we must pray in that name. So we don't pray and then at the end of it say, in Jesus' name. We, we come, Father, we thank you that we have the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus, that grants us access into the very throne room of heaven. Because Jesus, your word says, you made for us a new and living way. And we ask you tonight to own your word and to minister to our hearts and speak to us the things you want us to hear for your glory and for our encouragement. Amen. Amen. So our go-to verse, I just want to, I didn't, is this Ruth? Are you, are you Ruth? Hello, Ruth. How's that? Hey, hi. <laughs> she sent me a text, so I should remember her name. Um, I just want to read this quickly, because as I was driving here, I just felt God say, I must just tell you these things. What's the, what's the 412, 412? I'll give it away. <laughs> Ephesians 4.12. It says this about apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers. It says this in, in verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12. It says, um, sorry, verse 11. It, it, it was he, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be... No, she hasn't got it. I didn't give it to her. So I'm just reading it to you. And so I want you to understand that Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are God's call on people's lives. 
It's not something I get into a meeting for and I think, um, will you pray for me? I want to be an apostle. God initiates that. God puts longing and desire in your heart for these particular gifts. And then if you go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So the gift of an apostle is not just a gift that we can pray for in, you know, because we've got a desire for it. It's a, it's a, it's, you've got to understand it's a, it's a God-given gift for a specific thing. And I'm not an apostle. I don't know what I am, but I am who I am because I decided long ago I'm going to be me because everybody else was taken. And I tried to be somebody who I wasn't because I heard preachers and I wanted to be like that. I can't be like them. I can't be like James. Perhaps, thankfully, I don't know. But he's, <laughs> he's a teacher. He dots all the I's, crosses all the T's. He's immaculate. He really is. I mean that. He's superb. And we miss that gift. That's a gift that God gives people. Amen? So I want you to just uh, get that into your heads. That the apostle is a unique gift from God. He gave some. God Almighty gave some. He gave Andrew an apostolic gift. And Andrew has drawn other apostolic gifts to him. So he has a team of men so that he's accountable and he's not just a lone ranger. Amen. So our go-to verse, I'm with you now, Ruth, and you with me. Amen. Our go-to verse is Acts 2.42. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's, that's the bit I'm going to preach on. And devotion, devoted, is a very strong word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And being devoted means that you have to get over your self-centeredness. You have to uh, get over your selfishness. And you place your concern on another person or on whatever it is that you love. Otherwise, you're not fully devoted to that thing or that person. Devotion is a very powerful word. It's not just they devoted themselves. It's also to be devoted means to cling to Jesus. To steadfastly persevere with him. Out of love and gratitude, we express our dedication to him through a passion to obey. That young man that testified, that went home and he's, God's speaking to him out of that verse in Galatians. Well done, my friend. A spirit of humility and a servant heart. Those are the three things that we should be devoted to in our walk with Jesus. Those three things are key. A passion to obey. We don't read this and thread it through our eyeballs, you know. We read this and we obey it. And some of it's hard to obey because we've got, we've got little habits that form. And we read things and the habits are there and we, we, want, to, we, want, to, we want to give in to the habits. But it's to obey. It's, it's, it's to humble ourselves before God. I preached once and I... I kind of jokingly said, my humility is the thing I'm most proud of. <laughs> and somebody shouted, Amen. <laughs> so it just told me they weren't listening. Because they don't know what I said. But humility, humble. Humble is not being a doormat for everybody. But it's humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. And allowing Him to speak to you. 
so that you become obedient and you become a servant or a slave. Now, there's the key thing. They devoted themselves. Nobody went to them and said, listen, from now on, you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. They weren't coerced. They weren't persuaded. They weren't forced. They weren't told they have to do that. They devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves not to the apostles, but to the apostles' teaching. What the apostles taught. If you've heard Andrew Selly preach, then you, I often think, I know that. But why don't I know that? And, and that's the gift the apostle has. He makes it think, well, yeah, I do know that, but I don't really know that, but I should know that. You know that? That's a gift from God. It's a gift. He unpacks things out of the Word. So the apostles' teaching in those days was what Jesus had taught them. Because they'd got rid of the law in the sense that Jesus had come to fulfill the law. And Jesus brought grace and truth. That's what the Bible says. Grace and truth came with Jesus. Moses brought the law. Grace and truth came with Jesus. So it was a new thing. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you. And there was a new way to do things. And the apostles taught what Jesus had told them. And people devoted themselves to that. And legalism and religion stop us from being devoted to the apostles' teaching and the things of God. And lots of us come out of, you know, churches that are religious, you know. They, they're like so narrow-minded in those churches, they can look through a keel with both eyes. <laughs> you know those churches where it's like nothing happens. It's beautiful. We come to a charismatic church and you start the meeting and you're asking people to please settle down, be quiet. You go to a traditional church and you say, are you breathing? <laughs> Hello? Everybody just stares because it's like death. Thank God there's life in the church. And so they devoted themselves, as I said. They weren't challenged. Their motivation came out of Acts 2, the first one to four. This is where their motivation came. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly. God takes a long time to do something suddenly. If you remember nothing else tonight, remember that. God takes a long time to do something suddenly. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That was their motivation. Remember, they didn't have this. They had the law. We've got it. And sometimes we so get, get so stuck in this, we forget that it's the Spirit that enlightens that to us. He opens the book for us. He opens the Word for us. So when we come to read the Word, we devote ourselves to this and to Him because He is the one. Jesus said of Him, He will take from what is mine, and Jesus is the Word. You remember Jesus said? Yeah, this is the written Word He's given to us. He said, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And that's the gift the apostles have somehow. They bring things to us that we haven't seen. And they, they enable us. I'll get further on it just now. They moved, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. If you're not moved by the Spirit, I, I'm telling you now, you devote yourself 
to the apostles' teaching, and you don't get moved by the Spirit, you'll become a legalist, and you'll become religious, and you will lose your joy. It must be by the Spirit. Don't tick boxes. I'm devoted. I'm, I'm. No, it's not about that. You come to the living God. You come to somebody who's alive. It's not just a ritual. Yes, you must pray. You must read the Word. But every time you come, you must realize... The living God is going to speak to me. I'm a child of God. For what? For nothing. I did nothing. What did I bring? My sin. I said, Lord, you have my sin. And he said, I'll take the punishment. You get the pardon. I mean, what a, what a transaction is that? He took the punishment on your and my behalf. And we got the pardon. So when we come to him, man alive. You've got to have that. You must be devoted to that. You don't get devoted to meetings. You get devoted to Jesus so that when you come to meetings, the, the Spirit speaks to you. Oh, I go to church twice on a Sunday. Well, bully for you, bro. What do you get out of it? Not a lot, eh? I used to go to church twice on a Sunday. I got born again long, 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 long ago in a church where we preached the gospel every Sunday night to the Christians. And we got saved again. Every Sunday night. Because nobody ever visited. Because it was boring. Nobody ever came. There was no joy. Nobody ever came. I, I was in that church for years. I, I can't even remember if there were salvations. And then I got baptized in the Spirit. Went to charismatic church. And people came. Because the life of God was there. People began to get saved. And we believed in the apostles. The Lord always gives a pattern... For everything he wants to do. The Lord sets a pattern for what he wants to do. He called Uncle Moses up to the mountain. Forty days. Uncle Mo was in the cloud. In the presence of God. Forty days. And he gave Moses instructions to build a tent. Essentially. It's called the tabernacle. Because they were going to journey through the desert. But the tent, the tabernacle, had to be built, as it says in um, Exodus 25, 9. This is what it says. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So Moses went up. He, he couldn't bring his own ideas. If you're creative and all that, bring your ideas. Moses, no problem. This is, I'm the creative one, God said. I will show you the pattern. Go to the next one. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. All the furnishings and fittings were made to a pattern. And the last one, set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Three times we read that in the book of Exodus. Moses got given a plan, a pattern, by God to build the tabernacle. And all the tabernacle was was a fancy tent. And every time they stopped, that thing was set up. And the ark of God got sent a place because in those days where the ark of God was, was the presence of God. And when they camped, they camped around the presence of God. Three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, north, south, east, and west. Three, six, nine, twelve tribes around the presence of God. Build it, Moses, according to the pattern. Get that. David wanted you so badly build the temple. King David wanted to build the temple. And God said to him, no, your son's going to build the temple. 
This is what it says in 1 Chronicles 28, 11 to 12. It says, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. In verse 19, it says this, He gave him the plans, all that the Spirit had put in his mind. Just go back to the other one. Sorry, I missed that. Ruth. He gave him all the plans that the Spirit had put in his mind. The Spirit had spoken to David, and he gave him the plans for the temple. The temple wasn't just, let's build this. This is not bad, but, you know, it houses us. It's good, but this is nothing like the temple was. God gave plans for the temple, and David gave his son the plans. It took Moses six months to build the tabernacle. It took Solomon 13 years to build the temple. The New Testament church got a Holy Spirit download of the pattern or the plan that God wanted or the model he wanted for his church. And it was not going to be a tent or a building. It was going to be people, you and me. God's got a plan for us. He's got a pattern for the New Testament church. And Acts 2.42 is it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to breaking bread, and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves. Now, the pattern that God gave for the New Testament church has got various um, expressions of that model. What should it look like? How, what should we look like? I mean, I stand in front of a church and I look at you and I think, Jesus said of you, you are the hope of all the world. And I say, Jesus, you are very brave. <laughs> we are the hope of the world. But that's the pattern. That's the model. And the model consists of various understandings. First of all, he says, it's going to be called a body. And if we read in Romans 12, 4 to 5, it says this about the body. Just as each one of us is one body with many members... If I had a wooden leg, I didn't leave the leg at home tonight. I came with all my parts. I'm here in fullness. It's a body. I've got many members. I'm all here. I'm all together, I hope. And these members do not all have the same function. I've got a thing called carpal tunnel syndrome. You know what that is? You can't feel the points of your fingers. So I've been to the quack, the doc, and um, he said to me, you've got carpal tunnel syndrome. I said, can you fix it? He said, Piece of cake. I said, really? He said, yeah. We'll just cut you here. And then he explained to me how the nerves get trapped. And then he said, we just release them and it's all fine again. So the body is not functioning. So if I feel things, like I can burn my fingers and I think, that's funny, that wasn't even hot. So it's weird, but it's going to be fixed. And some of you are not weird, but some of you are a bit numb. Some of you are a bit numb to the things of God. And God's got to loosen your nerve endings for your heart to allow you not to have the syndrome called carpal tunnel because you're so narrow-minded you can't see things. God's going to release you. We're a body. The body speaks of people. The people, the people of God. The body speaks of people. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, it says the same thing. 12 to 14. Now the body is made... 
the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. This is the body. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. So when you got born again, you got baptized into the body of Christ. Now you've joined this body. You've joined this body, Joshua generation. You've joined this body. If you haven't joined this body, why? Haven't you joined the body? No, sure. <laughs> but there's many, there are many bodies, but m lots of them don't portray what God wants them to portray as the body. The body speaks of this. It's a living thing. As I said earlier, some churches, I mean, I know a church where a guy had a heart attack and died. And they called the ambulance and everything. And they carried out three people before they found the right guy. You guys are very slow. You are very slow. Oh, my Lord, help us. The church, the church, the church, the church is, an, is not an organization. We don't have an organogram. You know, Chief Conan Andrew Selly. You know, apostle. And then under the apostle there's Mervis and there's uh, Russell and there's uh, Kim and then and then the, and then somewhere down the line I find myself and even further down we find you sorry <laughs> we don't have that it's a body we all we get built together we we one people the church is an organism it's not an organization like like tonight people bring testimonies and things happen and like we had a meeting this morning and we were praying for people in that group and praying for people in that group and praying for people in this group and some of the visitors left because they used to it being nice. The church is not nice. The church is being built. And if you have a building site, there's scaffolding and there's all sorts of stuff lying around because it's still in the process of being built. We're a body. It's about people. It's about involvement. It's about harmony. It's about variety. Jesus had all that. That's what he wants for them. That's the model. That's the first thing. The second thing is we called a bride. Sorry, guys. But we're the bride. He spoke about preparing a room for his baby. One day, girls, when you get married, and guys, I want to give you some advice, because I was married for 48 years, and tell me, I know, I'm, I'm telling you the truth now, I'm not preaching. <laughs> you've got to be quick, you've got to be quick, you guys, you, you're very sluggish, wake up, when, when, when a bride prepares herself, that's a foretaste of what you're going to live with for the rest of your life. And it it's time. It's right. It takes time. It takes effort. If I used to do weddings, and then, you know, all the guys are standing in front, very cool, you know, the guys, yeah, he, he's here, and he's got all his best men, and you know, they're quite cool, you know. <laughs> Me meanwhile, he's sweating. He's really sweating. And then, and then, you know, the music starts and the, the ba da da da, will you please stand, you know. Then you stand. And then I used to stand and watch him. And his bride would come in the door and go, Brioka. <laughs> because she had prepared herself for that occasion. And he, he, was, he was taken. Oh, the tears, oh God, what have I done? Uh, 
beautiful. And, the, and you know, all the ladies, oh, it's beautiful. And my wife at the end of the week, she'd say, didn't you like the dress? I'd say, yeah. It was white, eh? I would see, I would watch the bridegroom. And his bride was prepared. And God is preparing us that one day when we see him, he's not going to go, wow, we are going to go, oh my word, what has God done? And he's bringing us together as a bride. And he's going to present us. He's going to present us. We're going to be presented to him. And he's going to welcome us. We are friends. He's not your chummy. He's God. He's your friend. He's not your chummy. I've heard people pray, you know, this. No, man. My kids talk to me like that. You know, I lay hands on them. <laughs> you respect me. I tell my kids I brought you into the world I can take you out to. <laughs> I tell my kids you don't pay rent, you don't buy the food, you listen to me. I'm the man in charge. You might not like it, I don't care. I'm in charge. And they're all sane, they're all fine, and they're walking. That's, they're good. None of them have got mega problems. Ephesians 5, 31, 32, I must keep going. Thank you. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I'm talking about Christ and the church. Listen. Won't you just open that for me? Thank you. Listen. Adam and Eve. Here's the big question. Did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> have you ever thought of that? <laughs> Adam and Eve, God created Adam. Adam never had a mother or a father. God created him out of the dust and Eve out of his side. And he said that in Genesis. Put it up. Just go back to 31. Ruth, thank you. <laughs> For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. How could Adam leave his father and mother when he didn't have one? You know why Jesus said, why God said that to Adam? Because he knew in time to come, everybody would have a mother and a father. And he prophesied, he made a statement that this is what it's going to be. And Paul picked it up in Ephesians when he spoke about the bride, the bride of Christ, and the mystery of Jesus and his church. And said, weddings, you leave your father and mother. You don't leave them and say, thanks very much. I'm out of here. I've got James now. And No, you, you leave them and you cleave to your spouse because you become one in, in God's eyes. You still love your mom and dad, obviously. You know, some moms-in-law, we won't go there. Well, they, yeah, they just... I did a wedding once, and the moms were telling the, the bride-to-be, no, we didn't do it like this, we didn't, and I could see she was getting very tearful, so I called the moms aside, I said, look, I love you, it's great, I love your daughter, your daughter-in-law to be wonderful, won't you just go for a walk in the garden while we do the rehearsal? Well, we want to be part of it, I said, it's not your wedding, go for a walk in the garden. <laughs> it's not their wedding. And this is nobody else's wedding except 
the bridegroom and his bride. And he's preparing us. This is what it says in Revelation 21. This 21, eh, Ruth? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down over heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's going to be a day. So one of the models is a bride. Beauty. It's people. It's attractive. When you see a car and it's got ribbons and streamers and balloons and the bride's in the back and it's just beaming, don't you hoot? It's a wedding. Everybody loves weddings. Some girls say, I wish it was my wedding. But you'll get there, you'll get there. Because it's a joyous occasion. That's the church. That's the church God's preparing. He's being set apart. It's a love relationship with the bridegroom who's Jesus. We call it a family. Henry, I've got that right now, said that earlier, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It's people. It says us, no, Ruth. <laughs> you can't snooze, baby. You snooze, you lose, eh? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You used to be, I used to be, useless, stateless, hopeless, helpless, and godless. And then Jesus found us. Now we belong. We belong to the family of God. That is an incredible thing. And he's building the family together. Now, it's people again. It's openness. It's setting, uh, settling differences. It's caring. It's showing tenderness. Families have differences. My family, I've got four children, ten grandchildren. We're very fruitful. Took the commandment very seriously. <laughs> no, no. He said, Jesus said, go forth and multiply. So we said, yeah, we'll do that. And we, yeah, we did. I mean, it cost me a fortune at Christmas time now, but anyway. But we've had differences in our family. My kids are big now. My daughter's going to be 50 this month, my eldest. That's fine. I asked the parking guy. I said, he's a closer, so I can speak a bit of closer. So I said to him, how old do you think I am? He said, 83. I said, no, nah, humble enough. <laughs> 83, who do you think you are? <laughs> it's a family. We have differences. We settle the differences. And in church, when you're a family, you must not be a peacekeeper. Jesus didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said blessed are the peacemakers. So a peacemaker confronts the issue. And you talk it out and you still talk to each other afterwards. But if you keep just becoming a peacekeeper and you just, oh, I, just I, don't, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to upset anybody. But sometimes you've got to tell the truth. Say, no, you're wrong, you ugly thing. Get over it. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? We're peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers because they shall. Yeah, there you are, inherit the earth. The peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. They send peacekeeping forces to war zone, war zone areas. No, we peacemakers. We make peace. And that means people who are being discipled by Andrea and James and these guys, Brigitte and uh, Henry and this handsome fella, Nico, 
Nico. That's good. <laughs> you, sometimes you're going to have differences. But you've got to confront the issues. Like that lady came and testified about lies. You've got to talk about those things. Because Jesus is preparing a bride. You don't want to come on the wedding day and then say, Oh, grief, I never told him all that. Oh, goodness, you don't know that either. No, no. You want to come pure and beautiful and lovely. I conducted a wedding once. A couple had been living together their whole life. They had two kids, and they got saved in our church. So I said, listen, guys, if you want to join the church, you've got to live apart and then get married. He said, I'm, I'll move out today. I said, good man. I said, and none of that, you know, you, when you move out, you stay out. You, you're away now. He said, no, 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 absolutely. And they did, and they got married. And this is what she asked me. She came, she said, can I wear white? I said, you can. Because once you were dead, but now you're alive. That's what Jesus is preparing for us. That life is gone. Have you ever spoken to a dead person? I have. They don't answer, eh? They just, they just lie there. There's nothing. No response. Just, they're there. And sometimes in church, that's what people look like, a bit dead. Awaken yourself. Speak to yourself. Let God prepare you. Family, family, family. We call it a building. We don't get built with bricks. Because look, all the bricks are the same size, same shape, same everything. We are living stones. Came to Cape Town in 1983... Uh, when I had a proper job, I worked in town, and they were putting, they were making, they're building some extensions at the famous, infamous, whatever you'd like to call it, St. George's Cathedral. And I went and stood there because my office was in Church Square. I went up Adley Street and Wales Street, and I stood and watched the stonemasons chipping away at the stone to make them fit where they wanted them to fit. And that's what Jesus does. When people take hold of your life and disciple you. And sometimes it's Amar. Because I could see sometimes, you know, they take the, the little trowel thing and they chip and they chip and they chip and it doesn't go. Mm, chip and chip and then they, they don't stop and there it comes off. And that, if it's you, that's Amar. If it's me, it's Amar. But oh, then I fit. I fit into the wall where God wants me to be because he's building this building. That's what it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. I've jumped you. No, no, it's not the... Sorry, I'm messing up. Ruth, Ephesians 2.21. There we go. She looked at me as if to say, it's not that verse. <laughs> Ephesians 2. In Him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The whole building. We're all being built together. We're all part of it. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Computer must be slow. You don't have that one. Oh, Lord. Uh, I've, got, I've got the card here. No, no, just relax. It's fine. I'll read it. I know where 1 Peter is after Hebrews. Because Hebrews is Hebrews, and that means the guy makes the coffee. Because Hebrews... 1 Peter chapter. <laughs> yes, enough now, okay? <laughs> it says this As you come to him, this Peter, 
the Apostle Peter, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, it says this, but you are a chosen people. Hallelujah. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And we all deserved death. The debt that we built up against God, the, the payment was death. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. The grace of God saves us. I've been saved by grace through faith. Not of myself. It's a gift from God. That's the model for the New Testament church. That's why we want to be obedient to Acts 2.42. Devoting ourselves. Otherwise we become this. We drift. If we don't have apostles keeping us on that road, keeping us facing that, those things. You, you're a family. You're a building. You're the bride. You, you, what was the other one? The body, yeah. Look at me. See, this has taken many years. In the building industry, they've got a thing called a spirit level. So I'm on the level now because I've got the bubble in the middle. <laughs> we begin to drift. I was asked to go to do a little weekend conference thing in Zimbabwe. Went to Bulawayo. Symbos, yeah, good. And we, okay, 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 okay. And then we went to the Victoria Falls. And we went on the evening cruise. It's called a, the evening, the sunset cruise. No, it's a booze cruise. The oaks get on there and just get, and when the hippos and the other things come, they just, they, they can't really see well, so they don't really worry. But this is what the guide said to us. He said, we stay this far away from the falls because we're above the falls and the Zambezi is flowing quite strongly. And he said, there are markers for us on the side of the river for us because the boat we've got is not very powerful. And if we go past that point, if we're not paying attention, we could be in trouble because the flow of the water becomes so strong it will drag you over the falls. Fishermen in other little boats go a little bit further to the falls, but they too have got to, they've got to, they've got to be aware that we can't go further than this because if we, if we try and get out of it, the, the pull is too strong. And that's what happens in our lives. That's why we need apostles teaching us and reminding us of who we've become. Yes, pastors and teachers do it, but somehow when the apostle does it, it's got authority on it. It speaks to us. And you drift. And if we drift, we become a church like a lecture hall. Where you come to church, and the guy stands there, six foot above contradiction. <laughs> hidden behind all sorts of funny things. Dressed in robes. Looks like a mother. You call him father. 
it's a lecture hall. And you sit and there's no participation from anybody. He just delivers the lecture. And people walk out and say, fine word. And that's where it stops. And nothing happens. If we don't build according to the pattern and we don't devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we can become a lecture hall. Or we become a corporation. You know where they have lights and smoke machines and thousands of people and bands and glory and hallelujah and the main man, very cool like me, just the man. That's rude, eh? <laughs> highly organized, highly programmed, super efficient, choirs, programs, lights, smoke machines, big bands, senior pastors, senior elders, other things, little room for the body ministry and even the work of the Holy Spirit. It's like a show. You drift into that. That's not the model Jesus wanted for us. It's not a model. They're there. Maybe some of you have been in those churches. It's not a model that the New Testament speaks about. Where the pastor comes in halfway through the worship, being led by bodyguards, carrying his Bible. I mean, can you be so dumb and still breathe? I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's not a model. Or you become a theater, and then you have the, you, the, the, the priests reenact the sacraments and the drama. I went to a funeral in one of these churches. And I'm a pastor, and I know what was going on. No, I'm serious. I, oaks were appearing in little cream suits and other things, and then a light went on, and then it went off. And I thought, what, what is the relevance of this to people who don't know church? Nothing. But tradition, tradition has caused them to get, because they've just drifted and drifted, because they never had apostles teaching them. That's why, that's why the, 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 the book of Acts says you must be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Or you become a social club. You still meet very little about Jesus. In my day, we still had to go and do duty on the border, you know, the Angolan uh, Namibia border. And there were some ladies in some churches that knitted socks for the guys on the border. It was very sweet, but you don't go to church to knit socks. <laughs> you go to church to hear about Jesus and follow him. It's a social club. We play bingo and carpet balls. And everybody loves each other. There's no Jesus. That's what we drift to. Now, you know those churches. You've seen them. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're too young. They're there. They're out there. They're not a model. And I'll end with this. Jeepers, time's gone. <sighs> prophets stir the church. Pastors don't like prophets. Because pastors are, they love the scarpies. You know, we make it all nice. And we, the pastors we love. And then you, you're taking James and Andrea fr from us. And the pastor says, you, you can't do that. I mean, they... They, they key to us. They, well, what are we going to do? Find someone else, uncle. That's what the evangelists and, 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 and the prophets and the, and the apostles say. We, we're moving. Ross Lahana. I, I'm going to tell the story, can I? I went to Sunningdale totally by chance in 
Now I'll tell you now, on July the 14th, 2019, I know the date, because my wife died on July the 10th, and her funeral was on the 16th of July, 2018. And I'd said to God, I want a year out. If I want to cry, I'm going to cry. If I want to be miserable, I'm going to be miserable. If I want to be happy, I'll be happy. If I want to see people, I will. And if I don't want to see people, I won't. For a year. And a year later, 14th of July, I went to Sunningdale because my kids were meeting some friends and the friends, when they come from Joburg here, I'm their pastor. Whatever. I said, I'm, I'm going to go to Sunningdale, Joshua Generation. I was visiting some churches. And James was there. Hey, and I've known James his whole life. And I met Andrea. And Andrew asked me to say hello to people, and I did. And then he said, won't you pray over us? And I did. And then he made a bit of a fuss about the meeting. And there was a guy there by the name of Greg Garrett. And Andrew said, he's a word man. Jeff Kidwell's a spirit man. This is a word and spirit meeting. And you know, Andrew... And he sees, oh, well, that could be true, yeah, you know, but that's the apostle's gift. Then she went to him afterwards, and she said, look, I don't really know the old guy, but I feel God says he needs to work with us. And here I am. Thanks a lot. <laughs> now, I'm, I am grateful. I'm grateful. The grace of God on an old man. The grace of God. You see, God's, God builds these things together. But pastors, we, we don't we just keep our people. I'll tell you in a story. You know evangelists? They, they come into a meeting like a sneeze, blow their nose, and people get saved. Because <laughs> they've got a gift. I preach my heart, and I prepare for hours, and I preach, and nobody. Then he comes to the same meeting, gets people saved. I think, how is it possible? None of them were unsaved when I preached. Because <laughs> ah, he's got a gift, he's got a gift, he's got a gift. Pastors like to gather and keep. And the prophets come and they stir things and the pastors hate it because they've got enough trouble already. And the prophets go, oh God, now we've got this evangelist. Thank you. He's not coming to my congregation. I'm so happy. They cause, they, they gifts from God to keep us from drifting into becoming social clubs and lecture halls. And the evangelist, my last story, and the pastor went bear hunting. They went into the woods and they went to their little cabin and they arrived at the cabin and unlocked the door and the pastor started opening the curtains and taking the stuff and packing out the food and making sure it was all nice. And the evangelist said, look, I can't stand around you. I'm going to go look for a bear. So the pastor said, okay, cool. I'll see you later. Off he went. 20 minutes. He hears, open the door. And he looks out the window and hears the evangelist running for his life with a bear. So now he's figuring, oh, open the door. Bad news. What I'll do is I'll open the door, and as the evangelist comes through, I'll slam the door in the bear's face, and we'll be safe. Got it all sussed. Open the door, open the door, he's ready. And here comes the evangelist. He opens the door, and as he's going to close it, the evangelist hangs on the door, keeps it open, and the bear comes skidding into this little thing and bashes itself against the far wall. And the evangelist runs out and closes the door, and he says to the pastor, you look after him, I'm going to go fetch his mate. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's the difference between evangelists and pastors. Now the poor pastor, he's got to, you know, the evangelists bring the fish, and we've got to gut them and clean them and scale them and make sure everywhere, you know, that's it. And that's what, that's what the gift is of apostles.
That's why God gives us gifts. Folks, don't devote yourself to Andrew. Devote yourself to Jesus and the teaching Andrew brings us. Because God has given him a special gift. Go to Jonathan Conrath. He's got a gift. People just get saved. A friend of mine, his name's Andre Bluchnot, he's in the, in the Musenberg congregation. Last time Jonathan came, Andre had a heart condition. Last, I've got millions of stories there now. He had a heart condition. I don't know if you're a medical student, talk to me afterwards. I don't know how to explain these things. But there's a, there's a, there's a kind of number that you have with your heart. And if it's like 50 or 40-something, 40 you, you're cool. It's okay. My heart, I've got stents, four of them. I'm the Bionic Bishop. I've got, you know, I'm cool. His, he, went, he was feeling tired and he went to the doctor and it was less than 10, the measurement. And they said, you know what? We can't even give you a heart transplant. You're so sick. You're just going to die. He went to Jonathan Conrad last time. And a young girl prayed for him. Jonathan didn't even pray for him. But when these people come, they bring a presence. They bring a presence. She prayed for him and he said he felt his physical heart burn. He felt like burning. And he said to his wife on the way home, we, we're going to the doctor tomorrow. I believe I've been healed. He went to the doctor and it was up to 38. The doctor said, what happened? He said, <laughs> let me tell you a story. And he's still walking and he's been healed. Brilliant. That's what evangelists do. Prophetic guys speak into your life. Things you didn't know you knew. And the pastor thought he knew. And then he's got to clean up the mess because the prophet has said, look, there's lots of people here. I'll tell you my last story. <laughs> this is true. There's a man called John Wimber. He's the founder of the movement of the Vineyard Churches. And a man found him one day, a guy by the name of Paul Cain, a prophetic man, and said to him, I um, want to come visit your church in Anaheim in America. In. He said, Okay. He said, uh, how will I know you're a prophet? He said, on the day I arrive, there'll be an earthquake in Anaheim. <laughs> so John Wimber said, so when are you going to arrive? He said, you tell me. He said, you telling me that I can give you a date, and on that date, when you arrive, there'll be an earthquake. He said, yeah. <laughs> so he arrived, and guess what? There was an earthquake. So John Wimber said, I thought I better listen to this guy. And he walked into John's church, and he had a big staff, and he said, John, there are men on your staff who are having affairs, extramarital affairs. John said, no, <laughs> I know the guys. <laughs> that would never have been her. <laughs> so he got together with the guys, and he said, some of you, that's what a prophet does. The pastor knows nothing, man. He just loves people. <laughs> like, oh. And then the prophet comes and stirs all this up because God wants his church to be a pure bride. He wants to be a healthy family. He wants it to be a building that's attractive. He wants it to be a community of people that, that, that shine for Jesus. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Are you devoted to Jesus? Henry made an appeal earlier. Maybe you're not. Maybe you need to be. Because it's the best decision you'll ever, ever make. Ever make. I made the decision on the 24th of October, 
1974. Next year, I'll be 50. And Spiritually speaking, for the first 24 years of my life, I was dead. I counted for nothing. And Jesus came. Let's pray.